0: Let us pray. Almighty God, give us the increase of faith, hope, and love, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
1: A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you the word of the lord be to
0: god. our new testament reading comes from second corinthians working together with him then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of god in vain Where he says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities... Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections, in return I speak as to children widen your hearts also. The word of the Lord thanks be to God.
2: This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John.
1: Glory to you Lord Christ.
2: All that the Father gives me I will gu- All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophet's, And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one might eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the word that he spoke. The Gospel of the
3: Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As many of you um, are aware, if you're part of um, our, our church community, uh, we're um, in a really uh, challenging and sort of hard season right now in our, our diocese. Um, a diocese, for those of you that are newer to the Anglican world, is a group of churches under a bishop. And we've just um, had some uh, challenges um, uh, this summer that we're, we're working through and seeking the Lord on. Uh, but it's been a huge challenge. Um, and uh, when we made the decision to um, uh, preach through Second Corinthians um, earlier in the year. And actually, even when we began um, this series, uh, I had no idea um, what a, a, a difficult kind of ministry time um, we were facing among our group of churches. And reading through and studying and, and preaching and hearing um, awesome sermons preached on 2 Corinthians has been to me both a comfort and a challenge. Um, the comfort, of course, has been that when you read 2 Corinthians, and this is true of so much in Scripture— and you're in a difficult time, you're in a hard season, you're facing suffering, whatever that looks like. You read scriptures um, like these, and you realize, oh, maybe as much as I'd like to say to God, God, you didn't warn me. Like, God, why didn't you tell me there'd be suffering in this world? You can't get very far in the scriptures um, and say that. Because you realize, yes, the scriptures are honest. They're brutally honest. They acknowledge this world is hard. There is suffering. And they acknowledge that actually being a follower of Christ and committing your life to him Sometimes means more suffering, right? I mean, sometimes it means additional suffering that comes specifically from from following him. So there's a comfort in that, right? Realizing, oh, God is not surprised by this. But of course, the challenge is, God is not surprised by this. Right? The scriptures tell us to expect suffering, right? We read it, and we don't read, okay, maybe every once in a while a little hard time will come up, but don't worry, it'll be over soon. And you know, in general, life's very easy. No, actually we see there is great affliction often in this life alongside, of course, great joy, um, and, um, many, many good, good gifts. And so living in that has been, again, a good thing, but a challenging thing. And maybe you've experienced that as well. Um, there's a, a singer I love, I've, I've referenced him before, um, Josh Ritter, a singer songwriter, um, and a fascinating, a uh, songwriter, um, uh, to me, um, and, uh, uh, I know a little bit of a story from me in some interviews and you hear it in his songs. He, his songs are full of actually uh, biblical images and, and spiritual, um, images. Um, uh, but his background is, again, as I've read in interviews, is he grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a kind of a very, you know, um, devout church going home. But as he got older, he, he walked away from that and really rejected that. And yet his wrestling with, with issues of faith, with issues of who God is, is so prominent in so many of his songs. As a matter of fact, one interview, he says, well, I use the Bible a lot because it's just part of my imagination. It's just part of the way I think. Um, and he has a song called Lantern, um, which I love. And this song begins, Lantern, and he um, just talks about the, the suffering of the world um, and how difficult and challenging our world can be. Let me just read a couple lines to you. It's always weird when you read song lyrics because you really have to hear the song. But I'll read the lyrics anyway. Um, He has these lines where he says, where the thistles eat the thorns and the roses have no chance. And it ain't no wonder that the babies come out crying in advance. It just kind of captures, right? Babies are crying knowing, right? There's suffering coming. There's hardship coming. And he moves from that in the song then to, I'm basically saying, and God is no help. Right? And actually, kind of the song sort of gets at, actually, if you're seeking God's help in suffering, that actually just makes things worse, right? Because he's not going to help you. Um, and so then it moves in this place of basically, if we want help in the midst of suffering, if we want help in the midst of hardship, it's up to us to help each other out. I mean, again, if lyrics that I just appreciate, even though I don't totally agree with them, obviously, but appreciate the honesty of them. He says, so throw away those lamentations. We both know them all too well. If there's a book of jubilations, we'll have to write it for ourselves. Basically, if we want joy, it's up to us, right? If we want to be done with lamenting, we have to do it ourselves, right? And then the chorus of the song says, be a light in my lantern. In other words, I need light, and it's up to you, right? There's no light that we're going to get unless we give it to one another. Now, again, it's a powerful song, and it captures, well, someone disillusioned with faith and clearly struggling with it. But I'm struck often when I hear this song how I think those of us who do put our faith in the Lord often feel this way in the midst of suffering as well. Right? We cry out to God probably, but maybe we still have the mentality of if I'm going to get better in the suffering, if I'm going to get any help in this affliction that I'm going through, ultimately it's up to me. Right? And I'm not denying that sort of we use the resources God has given us, and one of those resources is one another. That's key, right? That's key to the scriptures. We are called to be a light to one another. But I think often we forget or functionally forget, but we can't do it without the light that shines upon us, without the light that is greater than us, without the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think sometimes, again, functionally, especially when we're in the midst of trials and difficulties, we can kind of forget and we can kind of act But God isn't really there. And we see in our passage today, once again... Paul's addressing uh, the reality um, of suffering um, in 2 Corinthians. Once again, he's giving a list of his sufferings. Right? This isn't the first list of suffering that we get in 2 Corinthians. And it's not the last list. There's one that's come before this. There's, there's one that's coming later in 2 Corinthians. There's one in 1 Corinthians. Right? And so Paul, again, if we're wondering, like, does this guy know that there's suffering in the world? Yes, he knows. And he actually wants you to read lists of his sufferings and what he's experienced. But again, he's not doing this just to be negative and to complain He's doing it to actually show and shine a light on how God meets us, how God provides in the midst of that. And so I want to look at, first and foremost, how God offers his help and his presence. He brings his help and his presence in the midst of afflictions. Um, But secondly, then, how God brings his truth in the midst of misperceptions, in the midst of um, false thinking. God brings his true thinking. Those are the, the two things I want to consider. And again, God brings his presence and his help. And of course, really, those are interchangeable. For God to be present with us is to bring help to us. Captured so powerfully in Psalm 46, and the song that Daniel wrote um, uh, based on um, Psalm 46, captures that so well. For God to be with us is to know help. And Paul is holding that up. If you look at the beginning of the passage, if you were here last week, this is building on the end of chapter 5, which we looked at last week in 2 Corinthians. And there, Paul, specifically at the end of that passage, is speaking about his calling as an ambassador for Christ. And we talked about how Paul is very clear, I represent Jesus. Right? Jesus is the reconciler. He's the one who has brought reconciliation between you know, the world, between sinners and God. But I'm a minister of reconciliation. So I represent that to the world. I share that truth to the world. And we talked about last week that we can read that and say, yes, that was Paul's calling. But then we can also say, but that's our calling, right? Maybe not in the same way as Paul. Maybe not to start churches and be an apostle. But we are all called, if we know the reconciling power of Christ, we are all called to share that, to live that out, to demonstrate it in in words and in actions, to be reconcilers, representing Christ the reconciler, right? And so he's building on that. And really, in many ways, in this passage, he's going from sort of that broad truth. This is my calling. I'm called to share the message of reconciliation. And now it's getting personal. He's basically saying to the Corinthians, and what about you? Right? This is my ministry, but what about you? Are you reconciled to the Lord? Right? You can kind of almost imagine, like, oh, Paul's giving a nice little teaching, and then suddenly it gets personal. Like, well, well hold on a second. He's calling us out by name. Right? Um, and that's what's happening here. Verse 1. Don't skip over that beginning of verse 1. Working together with him. It's easy to kind of read that and be like, oh, yeah, Paul's always saying stuff like that, like I'm working together with the Lord. No, that is so central to the way he thinks. And again, I believe the way we are called to think, that I am in partnership with the Lord. Yes, I'm representing him. I'm an ambassador. But it's not that the Lord says to his servants, you know, go and do your best, you know, try your best to represent me and don't screw up and I'll be back here, right? He works with us. He's with us, working together with him, right? I'm doing this ministry, but I'm doing it in the Lord, in partnership with the Lord, knowing that it's his work Through me, then we appeal to you. Again, Paul throughout this uses we, sort of him and other apostles and other leaders. But in many ways, it's really personal, right? We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, and then he quotes from Isaiah forty nine: "In a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you." Now, what does that mean that he would say, "Do not um, receive the grace of God in vain"? If we've received the grace of God, how can it be in vain, right? If we know the forgiveness of the Lord, the love and the mercy of the Lord, how can that be in vain, right? What is he saying there? And there's some debate in how do we understand that? What does that mean in light of what was happening in the Corinthian church? Um, I think the, way, the best way to understand that is to go back, and this is something we've talked about earlier in the series, Is to understand that part of what's happening in the Corinthian church is there are these false teachers. Paul calls them super apostles because they kind of saw themselves as, you know, so much greater than anyone else, right? They wasn't enough to be an apostle. They were the super apostles, right? But again, Paul would say what they were teaching was not totally true to the gospel. I mean, these super apostles basically had this attitude, and again, it was influencing the Corinthian church of, um, you know, how can you trust Paul? How can you trust him as a leader because he suffered so much? Right? The guy you know, has, has so many weaknesses and so many trials that he's going through. How can you possibly believe that he's anointed by God, that he's called by God when his life tells a different story? Right? If he was called by God, wouldn't he be living the blessed life? Right? Wouldn't he be living the victorious life? But he keeps you know, running into all these terrible problems, and he's not even that good of a speaker, and you know, he's not really that impressive. And so Paul's rejecting that message Partly, of course, because he's called to lead the Corinthian church and he doesn't want them to question his leadership because God has called called him to lead them. But even more importantly, even more at the heart of the problem with that thinking is, if you're saying to suffer, to experience trials means that you're sort of disqualified from ministry, that shows actually that God has not blessed your work, then you're undermining the very message of the gospel. Because we're saved through a, a Savior who suffered and died for us. Right, to say that suffering actually shows God's disapproval is to say that Jesus is not the Savior, that Jesus is not the anointed one, right? because he suffered. Right? And so I believe that's actually, you've received the grace of God in vain. right? The Corinthians have received the God's grace of God. They, they've claimed belief, but they start to go down this road of suffering means rejection by God, and that's going to lead to actually rejecting the very gospel message, as Paul has just said right before this, God made him, made Jesus who had no sin, to be sinned for us, right? That's the heart of the gospel, so that we might have the righteousness of God, right? So I believe that's what he's getting at, right? When he says, you know, don't receive the grace of God in vain. I think it's significant that he quotes from Isaiah 49. That's a servant song from the book of Isaiah. Um, there are various servant songs in the book of Isaiah. If you continue reading in Isaiah and reading the different servant songs, right? A few chapters later, you get to the end of Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, where we have the suffering servant, it's prophesying about Jesus, the one who was, you know, um, uh, died for our transgressions, the one who's by his wounds we are healed. And so, even in this reference, right, he's pointing forward to a suffering Savior. Right? Do not believe, do not receive the grace of God in vain, do not reject, right, the truth of the gospel because you've bought into this false teaching. Now, I don't think, I hope not, probably any of us, you know, look at someone who's experienced suffering, experienced hardship and say, Oh, I, I can't listen to that person. That you know, person must not be used by God because they've suffered, right? I, I hope it doesn't seem like that's a mind frame that most people fall into, right? I think probably today, actually, because we've probably experienced people who have known great suffering and we've seen God work through them, that we don't fall into that false way of thinking. But I do think sometimes we fall into a thinking when we're suffering, when we're facing trials, that we must have been rejected by God. What right? well, we don't apply to others, we apply to ourselves. Like how offensive that you would ever think that somebody was rejected by God because they were suffering. And then we start to suffer and we think, God, where are you? Right? Why have you rejected me? Right? Why, why are you allowing me to go through this suffering? It must be that you're not with me. It must be that you're not present. Right? I think that's where it gets personal for us. And so look at Paul's words as he commends himself once again. Right? He's commending himself. Uh, which, again, it's kind of funny when you start reading 2 Corinthians. He keeps saying, I'm not going to commend myself, and he keeps doing it. Um, but he's doing it here, commending himself once again to say, look at how I've suffered. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to pretend it's not the case. I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, my life hasn't been that hard. Actually, he's going to be clear. This is what I've experienced. Right? But note in that, uh, verse 4, right? But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, Right, these lists can get a little confusing, and when you read them, you can be like, what's going on here? I think that great endurance helps us then understand the rest of verse um, 4 and 5. He's saying, this is what I've endured. Right? I commend myself right, as a servant of God because actually I've endured these things. And I've experienced God's strength and God's power in having to endure these things. Right? And so what have I endured? Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Right? And again, these are things that many of us can experience. And perhaps many of these things we can um, relate to. But also as we read these, we can know many of these he's experienced specifically because of his calling. Specifically because of what God called him to, right? He found himself caught up in riots. And he experienced incredible labors and sleepless nights and hunger. And so he's saying, God's given me endurance in these. But these are trials. These are afflictions that I've experienced. Right? But then in verse 6, what has God provided in those? Right? There's, a, there's a change there. Right? And it moves from here's what I've had to endure, but here's how God gave me the strength to endure it. Here's how God uh, uh, brought his presence and his help to me. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Now, if you look at that list and you say, okay, these are all the things God provided. Maybe like me, you read and you're like, How is the Holy Spirit just one item on that list, right? I mean, do you think, like, wait a second, the Holy Spirit's just one thing? Like, I mean, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person, the person of God, right? How can that be part of the list? And I think basically probably what's happening here is the Holy Spirit's right there in the middle, right? Because all these things come from the Holy Spirit, right? To receive the Holy Spirit is basically to receive everything else in that list. Because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is God with us, right? We're indwelt by the very presence of God when we receive the Holy Spirit as we put our faith in Jesus. And we actually look at this list and we can say, oh, well, like, I see some of the fruits of the Spirit. If you're familiar with Galatians, when Paul speaks about the fruit that the Spirit bears um, and brings about in our life and grows in our life, right? And so we see, oh, patience, kindness, love, right? Right there, surrounding the Holy Spirit there. The um, end of verse 6 those are all fruits of the Spirit. That's, we see other places in Scripture. That's what the Spirit brings about in our life, right? And in 1 Corinthians, when Paul speaks about godly love, when he speaks about what love truly looks like as demonstrated by God, why does he say love is patient, love is kind? Right? And we see that right here. That's the Spirit, what the Spirit brings, right? The Spirit brings sanctification, purity. The Spirit helps us grow in holiness. The gifts of the Spirit, which Paul speaks about powerfully in 1 Corinthians right? Spirit brings knowledge. Spirit brings truthful speech. The Spirit brings the power of God among the many gifts. The Spirit brings our gifts of speaking out the truth about God. Gifts of wisdom and knowing the Lord. And we have the the verses there at the end um, of seven, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And that recalls the armor of God, which Paul speaks about in the book of Ephesians, right? The Spirit armors us. The Spirit equips us Right, there is a battle. We do not battle against flesh and blood, right, against powers, principalities. Right? There is a spiritual battle. That is part of the suffering we experience, part of the resistance we experience is a spiritual battle. But the Spirit of God equips us. Right? The right hand and the left sort of brings home an idea of a sword and a shield. Right? If you have two weapons, that's typically what you know, folks would have imagined um, uh, then. Right? In, in Ephesians 6, it speaks of the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. And so basically, again, he's showing in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, this is what God provides for us. This is the help, and it's the help that is the very presence of God. But what does he not say here? He does not say, you know, in the midst of hardships and calamities, God gives me a clear answer to the question why. That's not in there, right? God makes helps the suffering to make complete sense to me, right? I mean, in some ways... Paul understood, right? I'm in a battle. Of course I'm experiencing this. I'm called to something difficult. Of course I'm experiencing this. But i got to think, Paul had moments, right, as we all do in the midst of sleepless nights, in the midst of hunger and beatings, right, where he probably thought, come on, God, like, why? Why does this keep happening? Like, why is it so difficult? And he doesn't hold out to us. You'll get an answer to that, right? He doesn't say, and answers to the why. But he doesn't say, and it'll be quick and over with. Now, earlier, right, we looked at he, and Pete preached on this, right, he does say um, light and momentary afflictions, but that's compared to eternity. So everything's light and momentary compared to eternity. When we're in the midst of afflictions, they feel very heavy. And he doesn't deny that at all. So he's saying God is with us. God helps us in the suffering. But the suffering is real. I was talking to um, a friend once, sort of a, a counselor, um, at a time where I was experiencing a, a, a significant trial and, and struggling. Um, and uh, uh, he put it this way. He said, it's sort of like right now you're on this road, and there are ditches on either side of the road. And he's like, on one side of the road, there's the ditch that says, fix this. right? And then your temptation is to drive into that ditch and basically try to fix what's happening. And again, he wasn't denying, God gives us resources, God helps us, you know, the scriptures speak to us in the midst of suffering, but he's saying we can so easily fall into the mindset, what do I have to do to fix this, right? sometimes it can be spiritual, if I just pray the right prayer, it'll get fixed. Not that we shouldn't keep praying, right? But we can kind of have the mindset, I just have to fix this, I just have to make it go away, as opposed to, God's going to fix this, right? I'll keep seeking him. And so he said, you know, you got to watch, you know, that that ditch, right, and fall into that ditch, because you can't fix it. You know, you can, again, live in faith and seek the Lord, but ultimately you can't fix this. They said, so the other ditch on the other side is the give up ditch. And that's the temptation to just say, how do I give up? And that can be if maybe the suffering we're facing is tied into our calling, you can be like, I'm done with this calling, right? Whether that's calling to family, calling to work, calling to ministry and the church, whatever that looks like, right? That give up ditch. I'm just going to be done. And that give up voice can be so loud in the midst of suffering. How do I give up? I'm not saying don't rest. right? We rest in the Lord. But again, I don't think the Lord tells us to give up. He doesn't tell us to give up. He tells us to stand firm in the faith. But I know in the midst of suffering, I just figure out how do I give up (laughs) right now? Is there some way I can give up? And maybe that's giving in to temptation in new ways. Who knows? But that was such a helpful image for me. I stay on the road, right? Not giving up, not trying to fix it. But I believe this is the road to experience and live in what God provides, His presence with us, right, and that can be a hard road, right? But it's the the road of reality. I just appreciate as we read these words that this is not theory for the Apostle Paul. He's not saying, you know, I think if I ever suffered that God would be there for me. I'm pretty sure of it, right? This isn't. He isn't imagining this. When Molly um, and I, uh, well, when Molly was pregnant uh, with our, our first child, um, Aiden and We were getting ready. We um, got connected with a group of doctors that did um, OBGYN, but also did family um, care. And when when we go visit these doctors, depending on the appointment, we meet with different doctors that were part of um, this practice. And we loved all the doctors. Uh, but there was one that we especially liked meeting with, especially as, you know, getting ready to have our first child and then when we had our first child. Um, and this doctor had nine kids. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, he had eight boys and then a girl. Um, so I think he had another kid or two after we <laughs> moved on. Um, this was down in the Chicago area. So one thing we liked is this guy was always more tired than we were. You know, we were new parents. We're tired. We go to him. It's like, no, he's really tired. You know, and he always had like spit up all over his stuff <laughs> and, you know, food and, and things like that. But, but But what we loved about him is we, you know, my mom was pregnant, she said, well, you know, I kind of have this ache here. Like, should I be concerned about that? He'd be like, ah, I think my wife's fourth pregnancy, she had that. So that's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, and then when we had a baby, we'd be like, you know, he's doing this, you know, and he'd be like, oh yeah, I have four or five of my kids did that. It's fine. You know, so like you couldn't figure something out that this guy hadn't experienced. Now, to be clear, doctors can be great pediatricians and OBs that haven't had kids and Some of the best wisdom about parenting I've ever received is from people that never had children of their own. But it was really comforting to talk to someone and say, they know what they're talking about, right? They've been through it. And when we read Paul's words, right, we read someone that's been through it. But more importantly, these are the words of the Lord, right? They are inspired by God. And God's been through it, right? I mean, it's amazing, like, wow, Paul's been through it. But what's more amazing is that God the Son knows what suffering is. He doesn't say, man, you know, I, I, I think things will, you know, you'll know, you know, my presence in the midst of it. He knows it because he's been there. And we have one who's been and experienced suffering who speaks these words to us through his servant, Paul. Right, so we've got, again, that truth that God's presence and power is with us um, in our suffering. And secondly, and I'll be quick on this one, but God's truth shines out. Right and and puts to flight the misperceptions. Now, I know misperception is kind of a weak word. I'm like, that's kind of a weak word, right? And you want to hear, right, he shines his truth in the midst of lies. And there are some things here that are lies, right? When Paul says we're treated as imposters, that's a lie. He he was not an imposter. His fellow servants were not imposters. They weren't perfect, but they were honest about their work, right? When he says, you know, we're treated as punished, they weren't being punished, right? They were anointed ministers. But some of the things he says, they're partially true. Right? I mean, he was sorrowful, right? Of course he was. This world is full of sorrows. There are ways in which the apostle Paul clearly was poor and experienced poverty. Right? There are ways in which he was dying right, and very close to death, he says at the very beginning of the letter. But I think the key thing is those things aren't the whole truth. Some of them are completely untrue. Some of them are labels right, that can be put on but actually don't capture the deeper truth. right? Yes, to be a human is to know sorrow at times. But in Christ, right, we are not ultimately marked by our sorrow. That's not at the core of our identity. This actually is that we can always be rejoicing, right, because they are light and momentary afflictions compared to the joy of eternity because the Lord is with us. So that's the truth that we stand in, right? Think about where he says, as poor yet making many rich. Again, right, there's poverty that we experience, poverty of the Spirit. Right? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in the Spirit. There's poverty of resources that we experience but ultimately our identity is not I'm poor, right? Because to live in that identity is to say I have nothing to give. And he wants to say, yeah, there is an element of poverty that we all experience, but our ultimate identity is actually abundance, right? We've seen more than we can ask or imagine in Jesus, right? And to live in that truth is to say I actually have something to give. There's actually even out of my poverty I can give and I can provide because the abundance that I've received. And I think this, this, coming into the truth. And I encourage you, maybe it's worth taking some time this week to kind of work through these, right? To say, what ways do I feel unknown? And how is the truth that I'm unknown more um, real than the realities of being unknown at times? Right? How is the truth that I live more true than the ways in which I face death? Right? What is, how do I feel punished? And actually, that's not the truth. So again, I encourage you, live into these truths and to say yes this is true in christ right and then again to notice that once again i think this comes out of is informed by that idea of battle how do we engage in the battle um, that we're in we stand in the truth we stand firm in our faith and acknowledge this is what is ultimately true and the ways in which i'm taking on myself labels that actually aren't the heart of the truth that aren't the heart of who i am in christ i can let go of those i can reject those finally just see that out of this flows this incredible, generous, um, loving um, response to the Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. our Corinthians, our heart is wide open. I mean, the Corinthians have hurt Paul, right? And he's hurt them. He's acknowledged that, right? And think how vulnerable this is, right? I mean, the guy's suffered so much and he's saying, I'm going to continue to open my heart to you. I'm going to continue to be vulnerable to you, right? Our hearts are wide open, That's as we suffer, right? It can make us bitter. It can make us harden our hearts. Or in the Lord, we can actually have even more open hearts um, to others. We can actually be the light um, to others as we receive the Lord's light. Let's pray for that. Lord, we do pray that we would have hearts wide open to others. If we read Paul's vulnerable words, we would be um, aware of the ways perhaps that you're calling us uh, to be vulnerable in you. You're calling us even to risk suffering for the sake, again, of being the light. But first and foremost, Lord, we do pray that we would set our eyes on you, the light of the world, the bread of life that we receive from you. And out of receiving, we would give out of that. And Lord, I just pray right now for those that perhaps especially are feeling afflicted, perhaps are feeling rejected, Lord, perhaps even the discouragement that so many of us are feeling um, as um, COVID cases rise again and the um, the feeling even there of um, uh, ongoing trials. Lord, we just pray that in this we would know in new ways your light and your life, that we know in new ways the power of your Spirit. And we ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.